Part Two of the Watsons. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Gesine. The Watsons, a fragment of a novel by Jane Austen. Part Two. At a little before eight, the Tomlinson's carriage was heard to go by, which was the constant signal for Mrs. Edwards to order hers to the door and in a very few minutes the party were transported from the quiet and warmth of a snug parlour to the bustle, noise, and draughts of the air of the broad entrance passage of an inn. Mrs. Edwards, carefully guarding her own dress, while she attended with yet greater solicitude to the proper security of her young charge's shoulders and throats, led the way up the wide staircase, while no sound of a ball but the first scrape of one violin blessed the ears of her followers and Miss Edwards, on hazarding the anxious inquiry of whether there were many people come yet, was told by the waiter, as she knew she should, that Mrs. Tomlinson's family were in the room. In passing along a short gallery to the assembly room, brilliant in lights before them, they were accosted by a young man in a morning dress and boots, who was standing in the doorway of a bedchamber, apparently on purpose to see them go by. "'Ah, Mrs. Edwards, how do you do? How do you do, Miss Edwards?' he cried with an easy air. "'You are determined to be in good time, I see, as usual. The candles are but this moment lit.' "'I like to get a good seat by the fire, you know, Mr. Musgrave,' replied Mrs. Edwards. "'I am this moment going to dress,' said he. "'I am waiting for my stupid fellow. We shall have a famous ball. The Osbornes are certainly coming. You may depend upon that.' for I was with Lord Osborne this morning. The party passed on. Mrs. Edwards' satin gown swept along the clean floor of the ballroom to the fireplace at the upper end, where one party only were formally seated, while three or four officers were lounging together, passing in and out from the adjoining card-room. A very stiff meeting between these near neighbours ensued, and as soon as they were all duly placed again, Emma, in a low whisper which became the solemn scene, said to Miss Edwards, "'The gentleman we passed in the passage was Mr. Musgrave, then. He is reckoned remarkably agreeable, I understand.' Miss Edwards answered hesitatingly, "'Yes, he is very much liked by many people, but we are not very intimate.' "'He is rich, is not he?' "'He has about eight or nine hundred pounds a year, I believe. He came into possession of it when he was very young, and my father and mother think it has given him rather an unsettled turn. He is no favourite with them. The cold and empty appearance of the room and the demure air of the small cluster of females at one end of it began soon to give way. The inspiriting sound of other carriages was heard, and continual accessions of portly chaperons and strings of smartly dressed girls were received, with now and then a fresh gentleman straggler, who— if not enough in love to station himself near any fair creature, seemed glad to escape into the card-room. Among the increasing number of military men, one now made his way to Miss Edwards with an air of empressement, which decidedly said to her companion, I am Captain Hunter, and Emma, who could not but watch her at such a moment, saw her looking rather distressed, but by no means displeased, and heard an engagement formed for the first two dances which made her think her brother Sam's a hopeless case. Emma, in the meanwhile, was not unobserved or unadmired herself. A new face, and a very pretty one, could not be slighted. Her name was whispered from one party to another, 
and no sooner had the signal been given by the orchestras striking up a favourite air, which seemed to call the young to their duty, and people the centre of the room, than she found herself engaged to dance with a brother officer, introduced by Captain Hunter. Emma Watson was not more than of the middle height, well made and plump, with an air of healthy vigour. Her skin was very brown, but clear, smooth, and glowing, which, with a lively eye, a sweet smile, and an open countenance, gave beauty to attract, and expression to make that beauty improve on acquaintance. Having no reason to be dissatisfied with her partner, the evening began very pleasantly to her, and her feelings perfectly coincided with the reiterated observation of others that it was an excellent ball. The two first dances were not quite over when the returning sound of carriages after a long interruption called general notice and the Osbornes are coming, the Osbornes are coming, was repeated round the room. After some minutes of extraordinary bustle without and watchful curiosity within, the important party, preceded by the attentive master of the inn to open a door which was never shut, made their appearance. They consisted of Lady Osborne, her son Lord Osborne, her daughter Miss Osborne, Miss Carr, her daughter's friend, Mr. Howard, formerly tutor to Lord Osborne, now clergyman in the parish in which the castle stood, Mrs. Blake, a widow's sister who lived with him, her son, a fine boy of ten years old, and Mr. Tom Musgrave, who probably, imprisoned within his own room, had been listening in bitter impatience to the sound of the music for the last half-hour. In their progress up the room, they paused almost immediately behind Emma to receive the compliments of some acquaintance, and she heard Lady Osborne observe that they had made a point of coming early for the gratification of Mrs. Blake's little boy, who was uncommonly fond of dancing. Emma looked at them all as they passed, but chiefly, and with most interest, on Tom Musgrave, who was certainly a genteel, good-looking young man. Of the females, Lady Osborne had by much the finest person. Though nearly fifty, she was very handsome, and had all the dignity of rank. Lord Osborne was a very fine young man, but there was the air of coldness, of carelessness, even of awkwardness about him, which seemed to speak him out of his element in a ballroom. He came, in fact, only because it was judged expedient for him to please the borough. He was not fond of women's company, and he never danced. Mr. Howard was an agreeable-looking man, a little more than thirty. At the conclusion of the two dances, Emma found herself, she knew not how, seated amongst the Osborne set, and she was immediately struck with the fine countenance and animated gestures of the little boy, as he was standing before his mother, wondering when they should begin. "'You will not be surprised at Charles' impatience,' said Mrs. Blake, a lively, pleasant-looking woman of five or six and thirty, to a lady who was standing near her, when you know what a partner he is to have. Miss Osborne has been so very kind as to promise to dance the first two dances with him.' "'Oh, yes, we have been engaged this week,' cried the boy, "'and we are to dance down every couple.' On the other side of Emma, Miss Osborne, Miss Carr, and a party of young men were standing engaged in very lively consultation, and soon afterwards she saw the smartest officer of the set walking off to the orchestra to order the dance, while Miss Osborne, passing before her to her little expecting partner, hastily said, "'Charles, I beg your pardon for not keeping my engagement,' but I am going to dance these two dances with Colonel Beresford. I know you will excuse me, and I will certainly dance with you after tea. 
and without staying for an answer she turned again to Miss Carr, and in another minute was led by Colonel Beresford to begin the set. If the poor little boy's face had in its happiness been interesting to Emma, it was infinitely more so under this sudden reverse. He stood the picture of disappointment, with crimsoned cheeks, quivering lips, and eyes bent on the floor. His mother, stifling her own mortification, tried to soothe his with the prospect of Miss Osborne's second promise, but though he contrived to utter with an effort of boyish bravery, "'Oh, I do not mind it,' it was very evident, by the unceasing agitation of his features, that he minded it as much as ever. Emma did not think or reflect. She felt and acted. "'I shall be very happy to dance with you, sir, if you like it,' said she, holding out her hand with the most unaffected good humour. The boy, in one moment restored to all his first delight, looked joyfully at his mother, and stepping forwards with an honest and simple, "'Thank you, ma'am,' was instantly ready to attend his new acquaintance. The thankfulness of Mrs. Blake was more diffuse, with a look most expressive of unexpected pleasure and lively gratitude, she turned to her neighbour with repeated and fervent acknowledgments of so great and condescending a kindness to her boy. Emma, with perfect truth, could assure her that she could not be giving greater pleasure than she felt herself, and Charles being provided with his gloves and charged to keep them on, they joined the set which was now rapidly forming, with nearly equal complacency. It was a partnership which could not be noticed without surprise. It gained her a broad stare from Miss Osborne and Miss Carr as they passed her in the dance. "'Upon my word, Charles, you are in luck,' said the former as she turned him. "'You have got a better partner than me,' to which the happy Charles answered, "'Yes.' Tom Musgrave, who was dancing with Miss Carr, gave her many inquisitive glances, and after a time Lord Osborne himself came, and under pretence of talking to Charles, stood to look at his partner. Though rather distressed by such observation, Emma could not repent what she had done, so happy had it made both the boy and his mother, the latter of whom was continually making opportunities of addressing her with the warmest civility. Her little partner, she found, though bent chiefly on dancing, was not unwilling to speak when her questions or remarks gave him anything to say, and she learnt, by a sort of inevitable inquiry, that he had two brothers and a sister, that they and their mamma all lived with his uncle at Wickstead, that his uncle taught him Latin, that he was very fond of riding, and had a horse of his own, given him by Lord Osborne, and that he had been out once already with Lord Osborne's hounds. At the end of these dances, Emma found they were to drink tea. Miss Edwards gave her a caution to be at hand, in a manner which convinced her of Mrs. Edwards holding it very important to have them both close to her when she moved into the tea-room, and Emma was accordingly on the alert to gain her proper station. It was always the pleasure of the company to have a little bustle and crowd when they adjourned for refreshment. The tea-room was a small room within the card-room, and in passing through the latter, where the passage was straightened by tables, Mrs. Edwards and her party were for a few moments hemmed in, it happened close by Lady Osborne's casino-table. Mr. Howard, who belonged to it, spoke to his nephew, and Emma, on perceiving herself the object of attention both to Lady Osborne and him, had just turned away her eye in time to avoid seeming to hear her young companion delightedly whisper loud, "'Oh, uncle, do look at my partner, she is so pretty!' As they were immediately in motion again, however, Charles was hurried off without being able to receive his uncle's suffrage.'
On entering the tea-room, in which two long tables were prepared, Lord Osborne was to be seen quite alone, at the end of one, as if retreating as far as he could from the ball, to enjoy his own thoughts and gape without restraint. Charles instantly pointed him out to Emma. "'There's Lord Osborne. Let you and I go and sit by him.' "'No, no,' said Emma, laughing. "'You must sit with my friends.' Charles was now free enough to hazard a few questions in his turn. What o'clock was it? Eleven. Eleven, and I'm not at all sleepy. Mamma said I should be asleep before ten. Do you think Miss Osborne will keep her word with me when tea is over? Oh, yes, I suppose so. Though she felt that she had no better reason to give than Miss Osborne had not kept it before. When shall you come to Osborne Castle? Never, probably. I am not acquainted with the family. But you may come to Wickstead and see Mamma, and she can take you to the castle. There was a monstrous curious stuffed fox in there, and a badger. Anybody would think they were alive. It is a pity you should not see them. On rising from tea, there was again a scramble for the pleasure of being first out of the room, which happened to be increased by one or two of the card parties having just broken up and the players being disposed to move exactly the different way. Among these was Mr. Howard, his sister leaning on his arm, and no sooner were they within reach of Emma than Mrs. Blake, calling her notice by a friendly touch, said, "'Your goodness to Charles, my dear Miss Watson, brings all his family upon you. Give me leave to introduce my brother, Mr. Howard.' Emma curtsied, the gentleman bowed, made a hasty request for the honour of her hand in the two next dances, to which as hasty an affirmative was given, and they were immediately impelled in opposite directions. Emma was very well pleased with the circumstance. There was a quietly cheerful, gentlemanlike air in Mr. Howard which suited her, and in a few minutes afterwards the value of her engagement increased, when, as she was sitting in the card-room, somewhat screened by a door, she heard Lord Osborne, who was lounging on a vacant table near her, Call Tom Musgrave towards him and say, "'Why do you not dance with that beautiful Emma Watson? "'I want you to dance with her, and I will come and stand by you.' "'I was determining on it this very moment, my lord. "'I'll be introduced and dance with her directly.' "'I do, and if you find she does not want much talking to, "'you may introduce me by and by.' "'Very well, my lord. "'If she is like her sisters, she will only want to be listened to. "'I will go this moment.' I shall find her in the tea-room. That stiff old Mrs. Edwards has never done tea. Away he went, Lord Osborne after him, and Emma lost no time in hurrying from her corner exactly the other way, forgetting in her haste that she left Mrs. Edwards behind. "'We had quite lost you,' said Mrs. Edwards, who followed her with Mary in less than five minutes. "'If you prefer this room to the other, there is no reason why you should not be here, but we had better all be together.' Emma was saved the trouble of apologising by their being joined at that moment by Tom Musgrave, who, requesting Mrs. Edwards aloud to do him the honour of presenting him to Miss Emma Watson, left that good lady without any choice in the business, but that of testifying to the coldness of her manner that she did it unwillingly. The honour of dancing with her was solicited without loss of time, and Emma, however she might like to be thought a beautiful girl by a lord or commoner, was so little disposed to favour Tom Musgrave himself that she had considerable satisfaction in avowing her previous engagement. He was evidently surprised and discomposed. 
the style of her last partner had probably led him to believe her not overpowered with applications. "'My little friend Charles Blake,' he cried, "'must not expect to engross you the whole evening. We can never suffer this. It is against the rules of the assembly, and I am sure it will never be patronized by our good friend here, Mrs. Edwards. She is by much too nice a judge of decorum to give her license to such dangerous particularity.' "'I am not going to dance with Mr. Blake, sir.' The gentleman, a little disconcerted, could only hope he might be fortunate another time, and seeming unwilling to leave her, though his friend Lord Osborne was waiting in the doorway for the result, as Emma with some amusement perceived, he began to make civil inquiries after her family. "'How comes it that we have not the pleasure of seeing your sisters here this evening?' "'Our assemblies have been used to be so well treated by them "'that we do not know how to take this neglect.' "'My eldest sister is the only one at home, "'and she could not leave my father.' "'Miss Watson, the only one at home? "'You astonish me. "'It seems but the day before yesterday "'that I saw them all three in this town. "'But I am afraid I have been a very sad neighbour of late. "'I hear dreadful complaints of my negligence wherever I go.' and I confess it is a shameful length of time since I was at Stanton. But I shall now endeavour to make myself amends for the past. Emma's calm courtesy in reply must have struck him as very unlike the encouraging warmth he had been used to receive from her sisters, and gave him probably the novel sensation of doubting his own influence, and of wishing for more attention than she bestowed. The dancing now recommenced, Miss Carr being impatient to call, Everybody was required to stand up, and Tom Musgrave's curiosity was appeased on seeing Mr. Howard come forward and claim Emma's hand. "'That will do as well for me,' was Lord Osborne's remark, when his friend carried him the news, and he was continually at Howard's elbow during the two dances. The frequency of his appearance there was the only unpleasant part of the engagement, the only objection she could make to Mr. Howard. In himself she thought him as agreeable as he looked, Though chatting on the commonest topics, he had a sensible, unaffected way of expressing himself, which made them all worth hearing, and she only regretted that he had not been able to make his pupil's manners as unexceptionable as his own. The two dances seemed very short, and she had her partner's authority for considering them so. At their conclusion the Osbornes and their train were all on the move. "'We are off at last,' said his lordship to Tom. "'How much longer do you stay in this heavenly place, till sunrise?' "'No, faith, my lord, I have had quite enough of it. "'I assure you I shall not show myself here again "'when I have had the honour of attending Lady Osborne to her carriage. "'I shall retreat in as much secrecy as possible "'to the remote corner of the house, "'where I shall order a barrel of oysters and be famously snug. "'Let me see you soon at the castle, "'and bring me word how she looks by daylight.' Emma and Mrs. Blake parted as old acquaintance, and Charles shook her by the hand and wished her good-bye at least a dozen times. From Miss Osborne and Miss Carr she received something like a jerking curtsy as they passed her. Even Lady Osborne gave her a look of complacency, and his lordship actually came back, after the others were out of the room, to beg her pardon, and look in the window-seat behind her for the gloves which were visibly compressed in his hand. As Tom Musgrave was seen no more, we may suppose his plan to have succeeded, and imagine him mortifying with his barrel of oysters in dreary solitude, or gladly assisting the landlady in her bar to make fresh negus for the happy dancers above. 
Emma could not help missing the party by whom she had been, though in some respects unpleasantly, distinguished, and the two dances which followed and concluded the ball were rather flat in comparison with the others. Mr. Edwards having played with good luck, they were some of the last in the room. "'Here we are back again, I declare,' said Emma sorrowfully, as she walked into the dining-room, where the table was prepared, and the neat upper maid was lighting the candles. "'My dear Miss Edwards, how soon it is at an end! I wish it could all come over again!' A great deal of kind pleasure was expressed in her having enjoyed the evening so much, and Mr. Edwards was as warm as herself in the praise of the fullness, brilliancy, and spirit of the meeting. Though, as he had been fixed the whole time at the same table in the same room, with only one change of chairs, it might have seemed a matter scarcely perceived. But he had won four rubbers out of five, and everything went well. His daughter felt the advantage of his gratified state of mind, in the course of the remarks and retrospections which now ensued over the welcome soup. "'How come you did not dance with either of the Mr. Tomlinsons, Mary?' said her mother. "'I was always engaged when they asked me. "'I thought you were to have stood up with Mr. James the last two dances. "'Mrs. Tomlinson told me he was gone to ask you, "'and I had heard you say two minutes before that you were not engaged.' "'Yes, but there was a mistake. I had misunderstood. "'I did not know I was engaged. "'I thought it had been for the two dances after, if we stayed so long, "'but Captain Hunter assured me it was for those very two. "'So you ended with Captain Hunter, Mary, did you?' said her father. And whom did he begin with? Captain Hunter, was repeated in a very humble tone. Hum, that is being constant, however. But who else did you dance with? Mr. Norton and Mr. Stiles. And who are they? Mr. Norton is a cousin of Captain Hunter's. And who is Mr. Stiles? One of his particular friends. "'All in the same regiment,' added Mrs. Edwards. "'Mary was surrounded by redcoats all the evening. "'I should have been better pleased to see her dancing "'with some of our old neighbours, I confess.' "'Yes, yes, we must not neglect our old neighbours. "'But if these soldiers are quicker than other people in a ballroom, "'what are young ladies to do?' "'I think there is no occasion for their engaging themselves "'so many dances beforehand, Mr. Edwards.' "'No, perhaps not, but I remember, my dear, when you and I did the same.' Mrs. Edwards said no more, and Mary breathed again. A good deal of good-humoured pleasantry followed, and Emma went to bed in charming spirits, her head full of Osborne's, Blake's, and Howard's. End of Part Two